0: Hello the creatives and the curious, my name is Pendo, and welcome to 12 Point Font, my writing podcast where I answer questions, conduct interviews, give advice, point out resources, gush over my favorite books, writers, and, well, things, and then just generally babble as I muddle my way through the world of words. Today's episode is episode 36, and we will be covering platonic character relationships. But first, the idiomatic expression for today comes from Denmark, and it is there are owls in the bog. So to find out what that means, go ahead and put away your Google machines and stick around until the end of the show where I will have masterfully crafted for you a writing prompt. As an addition to the writing prompt and in honor of the Light the Dark series we are doing, I will be giving you a writing exercise related to the podcast topic. So make sure you stick around for that. Okay, fair listener, I must admit that as I am creating this podcast, I am simultaneously writing four other academic papers of varying levels of mental involvement. Yes, you heard me correctly, four, not including my yet unfinished manuscript. This is not an excuse or even an explanation, really. It's mostly just a warning that I'm kind of in a state of delirium as I indulge in the making of this podcast, so let that be known so without further ado today we will be answering a reddit question wow we haven't done that in a while have we but Pendo I thought we were doing the light the dark series and I thought today was eat pray love day and I thought we were gonna look at Elizabeth Gilbert Pendo, whoa one thing at a time she said talking to herself firstly of course we're still doing Gilbert we're going to use her novel eat pray love to help elaborate on the answer to our reddit question hey Pendo I'm new here well, welcome, New Here. I'm Pendo, just in case you missed the multiple mentions of my name in the entire introduction. Pendo, says New Here. What is this? Light the Dark series, she asks, talking to herself. Well, if you're New Here, here's the breakdown. Ha 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 ha. not sorry so light the dark you see in our first january episode we talked about how we would be spending this year covering brilliant writers and the writing that inspires them we'll be doing this by working our way through the book light the dark edited by joe fastler the book light the dark is basically an amalgam of brilliant essays written by a whole bunch of brilliant writers talking about all of the brilliant writing that well inspires them We'll be applying principles we've learned to analyze the writing and help support our own. Hopefully, we'll be able to glean some wisdom in the words to make ourselves better writers. And in this case, hopefully, I'll be able to utilize some of this brilliant writing to answer the Reddit question. Which brings us, drumroll please, to the Reddit question. Been a while, huh? So, today's question comes from Reddit r slash writing user ai1859, and they ask, What are good ways and or elements that can be used to portray a platonic love. I'm talking, of course, of the love you have for your family, or longtime friends that feel like family. How would I get that love across? Well, let's just dive right in. I think the best way to answer this question is to provide you with a whole bunch of questions to answer. Whoa, meta, technically, yes, but really all I'm doing is giving you a template to know if you're doing it right. Or at least a template for how I know that I'm doing it right. Or, or or maybe, look, it's just a template. I hope it works for you. Moving on to question number one. One, ask yourself if the relationship is necessary. Maybe it's vital to the character, but it's not vital to the plot. Maybe it looks good in the plot, but the friendship dynamic is not vital to the plot. What is the purpose of the relationship in this story? And also, why should we care about it? If you are writing a hero, you want us, the reader, to care about your hero, and thus to care about the people that they love. In some cases, the fact that the hero loves the character in the relationship with them is good enough for us. However, comma, this reason alone is really quite shallow because we only care about what happens to them, if they live or die, really, in relation to how it impacts the main character's feelings. I mean, you want us to care about them in the context of the relationship, but you also want us to care about them outside of secondhand sympathy. If they're not vital to the story, perhaps their role shouldn't be pivotal in the story. Perhaps there's not really a purpose to them at all. Basically, the question is, is there a purpose to this character outside of this relationship that the reader is aware of? Or is the role in this relationship pivotal enough in the story that it has some effect on the story? Okay, so now we have decided that this relationship is necessary and needs to be in the story. Good! That's good! We're moving forward, we're making progress. Here's the thing, right? Often you don't really realize you have unnecessary characters or plot points or anything, really, until the editing phase. As in, past two, or three, or five, or ten, or more, of revision. Perhaps you don't even realize until somebody else points it out for you. Also, you can have periphery characters and periphery relationships that do nothing except add a little flavor to the story. That's okay. That's fine. Just don't be disappointed when the reader doesn't really get attached to the character or characters or the relationship. Okay, why is this character important to your main character? Yes, this is a different question from the first one, though the answer doesn't necessarily have to be different. Why does your main character care about them? Are they a best friend, a member of a clique? Do they act as a conscience, a voice of reason? What is the relationship dynamic? Is it avuncular, maturtural, familial, adversarial? What's the power dynamic? Is it an aunt that took care of this character and now they're really old and maybe the dynamic has switched? Is it maybe teacher to child or mentor to student? two best friends on rival teams, this dynamic is what determines the way the characters interact with each other, so it's very important to have this be clear. For example, if this character sees the platonic relationship as avuncular or matural, for instance, they'll probably want to seek affection from the relationship. If it's a mentor-student kind of situation, maybe they're seeking approval. Let's look at the relationship between Gilbert and catoult Cetutlier, and catoult new wife. In Eat, Pray, Love, yes? So, Gilbert has traveled to Bali on the memory of a promise made between herself and this incredible medicine man and religious figure. He said he'd teach her about the spiritual if she helped him with his English, so off she went to learn. So why is Khatut important? What is their dynamic? Well, you could say that since Gilbert promised to help him with his English, then she would be the teacher in this scenario. This might be true in a sense, but it might also be a fundamental misinterpretation of the text. See, Gilbert is put to work when she arrives. She is to translate letters for him and spend time with him. In return, he talks to her, teaches her about life and herself. So you could say that maybe the dynamic is teacher and student. The student may be helping the teacher, certainly, but ultimately it's Gilbert who flew across the globe to learn from a village medicine man. It's Gilbert who wants the wisdom, and it is Gilbert who must travel for their time together. This is not to say that the relationship between Catullier and Gilbert is transactional by any stretch, or that it isn't mutually beneficial, or even not companionable, however, comma, it is clear that the power lies more with Catullier, because throughout their interactions it is Gilbert who constantly aims to understand the old man, to please him, to seek his favor, at least from the perspective that we're given. When he tells her to continue to meditate, she does. When he interprets her dreams, she takes his words to heart. And when she sees his books are old and worn, she carefully scans and binds them for him, page by page, at her own expense. So we can see through her actions how this relationship is developed. We know that she cares because of the things she does, not just what we're told. Remember, show, don't tell. Unless, of course, telling is better, but we will get there later. Now, let's look at the relationship between Gilbert and Ketutliere's kind of wife, Nyomo, as he calls her. Let me read you a modified excerpt of the book. Bear with me, yes? As for Kitut's wife, it takes me a while to align myself with her. Nyomo, as he calls her. She has a shrewd eye. She was scary to me from the first sight. She's got that fierce old lady vibe you see sometimes in Italian widows and righteous black church-going mamas. She looks like she'd whoop your hide for the slightest of misdemeanors. She was blatantly suspicious of me at first. Who is this flamingo traipsing through my house every day? She would stare at me from inside the sooty shadows of her kitchen, unconvinced as to my right to exist. I would smile at her and she'd just keep staring, deciding whether she would chase me out with a broomstick or not. Okay, so there are our first impressions of Nyomi and Gilbert. Moving forward, Gilbert does a favor for Catootlier that would honestly take entirely too long to read, so let's just say Gilbert does a whole bunch of photocopying of precious books for Catootlier. Yes? Yes, she said, talking to herself. Alright, back to the story. Every day Catoot called his wife over and showed her the new copies, and he was overjoyed. Her facial expression didn't change at all, but she studied the evidence thoroughly. And the next Monday, when I came to visit, Nyomo brought me hot coffee. I watched her carry the drink across the courtyard on a china saucer, limping slowly on the long journey from her kitchen to Katoot's porch. She'd prepared it for me. I tried to thank her, but she looked annoyed at my thanks. Kind of swatted me away. Okay, so thus far, Gilbert has done an excellent job of showing us how Yumo feels, from mistrustful to skeptical acceptance to displays of appreciation, or some approximation of that word. Gilbert shows us the transformation of Nyoma's feelings towards her. Now, watch as Gilbert tells us about how it's reciprocated. Then, yesterday, I was standing in the courtyard saying my goodbyes to Katoot, and Nyoma came shuffling past with her broom, sweeping and pretending not to be paying attention to everything that happens in her empire. I had my hands clasped behind my back as I was standing there, and she came up behind me and took one of my hands in hers. She fumbled through my hand like she was trying to untumble the combination on a lock and she found my index finger. Then she wrapped her whole big hard fist around that finger and gave me this deep, long squeeze. I could feel her love pulsing through her power grip right up into my arm and all the way down into my guts. Then she dropped my hand and limped away arthritically saying not a single word, continuing her sweeping as though nothing had happened, while I stood there quietly drowning in two rivers of happiness at the same time." (laughs) So I guess that example was kind of a mixture of showing and telling, huh? All right. question number three. Who is this character? You know, the one in the relationship? This one kind of harkens back to question number one-ish. See, if you're going to give someone an important role in your story, then you need to know them. You. The author. Even though the story isn't about them, you need to know them as if it were. What do they want? Why? How do they react to things? Especially if you're going from a working dynamic based off of your main character, you need to know how their temperaments fit. Are they maybe the voice of reason in the relationship because they react rationally to everything? Or are they the voice of reason because they're rash and have been forced to learn hard lessons about consequences based off of experiences? Do they hype your character up because they're hyper or does their excitability act as a deterrent for rashness? Who is this person that your other characters care about? The reader doesn't necessarily need to know their whole backstory. However, depending on the role they play, you, as the writer, probably should know their whole backstory, that is. See people don't do things without motivation, and even when they aren't really motivated, their actions reflect that lack of motivation. If you want the reader to care about this side character, then you need to know what motivates them. Again, you don't necessarily need to let the reader know what this motivation is but as the writer, you probably should know. Slight sidebar, but not really, quote unquote, it's the right thing to do is often not a strong character motivation. Sure, doing the right thing for the right thing's sake might make the character seem heroic or iconic even, if we're talking about archetypes, I mean, think about Superman, but that alone does not an interesting character make and it certainly doesn't make them realistic, especially when quote unquote, it's the right thing to do is really, really difficult. So, if you're going to make Do the Right Thing the motivation, remember, just think Spider-Man and not Superman. Because my dying uncle told me to be responsible and to do the right thing and my rash decisions may have inadvertently led to his murder. Is a heck of a lot stronger motivation than I'm a super alien and I'll save these lesser life forms, I guess? Oh, spoilers. Sorry. Anyways, I digress. So, now you know your characters, and you understand their relationship dynamics, and even all their backstories and motivations. Great! How do you make platonic affection believable? Well, here's the next question you can ask yourself. Are you ready? Here we go. What do your characters know about each other? See, often the more you know about someone, the more power you have in a relationship. Lots of things play into this, like power dynamic and relationship dynamic, but for the most part, when you're close to somebody, close enough to love them more than just peripherally, I mean, you know stuff about them. You have inside jokes and you know how they react to certain nicknames. You know if the name of their ex will bring tears to their eyes or fire to their cheeks or will cool down their emotions so fast, it's like you dumped cold water over their heads. You know them and they know you and if you're really close, you know what each other want and whether or not you want that for each other. Let's look at a close, healthy maternal relationship between a mother and a daughter. Say the daughter has gone through a heartbreak. Then the mother, knowing her daughter, will also feel bad for her. When her daughter comes crying, her mother will comfort her. And you don't need to say this. You don't need to say her mother comforted her. You can show this. Say her mother saw her tear-stained cheeks and puffy red eyes and quickly enfolded her into her arms whispering it'll all be okay it gets better i've got you or something like that close relationships like these are difficult to shed even when people have drifted apart even when there's animosity or rage even when things went from so good to so bad so quickly let's look at the relationship between gilbert and her ex-husband pre-divorce but post-separation on September 9th, 2011, I met with my husband face to face for the last time, not realizing that every future meeting would necessitate lawyers between us to mediate. We had dinner a restaurant and I tried to talk about our separation, but all we did was fight. He let me know that I was a liar and a traitor and that he hated me and he would never speak to me again. Two mornings later, I woke up after a troubled night's sleep to find that hijacked airplanes were crashing into the two tallest buildings of my city as everything invincible that had once stood together now became a smoldering avalanche of ruin. I called my husband to make sure he was safe, and we wept together over this disaster. But I did not go to him. During that week, when everyone in New York City dropped animosity in deference to the larger tragedy at hand, I still did not go back to my husband. Which is how we both knew it was very, very over. These are two people who know each other, who loved each other, who know how to hurt each other and how to comfort each other. We can see their relationship in black and white or, well, I guess since this is a podcast, you can hear it in as HD sound as I can produce. Okay, a couple final remarks from me. Number one, during revision, read John Truby's The Anatomy of Story. I always leave a link to it. It's been excellent at helping me edit, and honestly, I think it saved my 4.0 on a couple of assignments a couple of times, so thank you, Truby. Anyways, it's got an entire section on character, and if you're interested in writing romantic relationships, that book cleared up a lot of stuff for me. Number two. During Inception, watch yourself, watch others, listen, and pay attention. Always, always, always. Listen to me. Eavesdrop. For science. If you're in a bus, or a busy cafe, or a crowded waiting room, look at the people around you and listen to them talk. What's the difference between how the doctor talks to the mother versus the child? How about the mother to the child versus the doctor to the child? How close are those teenage girls on the bus? Are they good for each other, or do they enable each other into bad behavior? What does that look like? Those two students you see studying? What's their banter like? Are they close friends, and how can you tell? Are they just meeting up for one of those cruel-should-be-illegal group assignments? What about the younger versus the older group of friends at the bar? How do they interact? Is it different? Similar? What's the body language like? Are there shared looks? Shared smiles? Are they finishing each other's sentences? Finishing each other's drinks? Watch. Just watch people. And when you're interacting with the people you love, explore the way that things make you feel. Look at your reactions almost clinically. What makes you angry, and why? Is it when your brother pokes fun at you for losing that one game, that one time, like seven years ago, dude let it go? What does that annoyance feel like? Does it settle in your chest, cold and calculating? Does your face stay impassive? Is it a gentle burning shame that forces an awkward laugh out of your mouth as the family laughs at your expense? Watch, 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 listen, pay attention. So reddit r slash writing user ai one eight five nine i hope i have adequately answered your question and don't tell me if i didn't or do if you want i guess but be nice okay that is that which leads us straight into update time all right i really like the story i'm writing but it is so much bigger than i thought it was gonna be i'm talking like one hundred and fifty thousand words i mean we're looking at Chapter one being 10,000 words thus far, and I don't, I don't know, listeners. So, yeah, that's me, and that's my progress update. How are you doing with your projects? Speaking of recommendation time, today I am recommending a podcast to you. That's right, it is 88 Cups of Tea with Yin Chang, and I'm just gonna go ahead and play the intro to my favorite episode for you. So, here you go with that. You're listening to episode 87 of 88 Cups of Tea with Yin Cheng. Whoa, I cannot believe we're one episode away from our 88th episode. Am I doing this right? (laughs) Hi, I'm your host, Yin Cheng, and thanks for joining me on 88 Cups of Tea. This podcast is created to leave you feeling motivated from interviews with storytellers, where we learn how they create opportunities for a successful career without losing sight of the values that make us human. That was a really long run on sentence. Anyways, I have been definitely binging those in between some aggressive reading, of course, and I find that the podcast is just incredibly uplifting and encouraging and, you know, it's just such a wonderful conversationalist, so go check that out. Next episode, of course, will be two weeks from today, as always, and we will actually be getting into Jack Gilbert's poem, A Brief for the Defense, which is an incredible poem, and I just, it, it's... It. Just just read it. Jack Jack Gilbert's a brief for the defense. Yeah. So that is the next episode source material for you. As always, I will have what I can link down in the show notes as well for you to find. I got you back so that's all dear listeners if you want more you can come on over and hang out with me on instagram or twitter at pendoland or you can check out my website at pendoland.com if you're not yet tired of my voice you can go to my scarcely used youtube channel also at pendoland i i said scarcely like that because uh, yikes um (laughs) but if you have any questions or comments you want me to read in the show you can send them on over by email to point font at gmail.com, that's one to ptfd at gmail.com, or you can tag me in social media with hashtag 12 font, just like the show title. The intro and outro for the podcast is Mare Pop Poppins by True Loves. All of this and everything else I talked about in the show will be linked in the show notes as well. Also, if you have a second, it'd be super cool if you could give this a rating on iTunes, like, like a good one, I think, maybe. That'd be nice. It just helps out a lot with visibility, I think, or something in the algorithms. Science. Computer science. Um, if you do that and you want a shout-out in the show, you can go ahead and send me a message as well. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. Now, for the idiomatic expression of the day, today's was... There are owls in the bog. There are owls in the bog actually means that something has gone wrong. The closest English equivalent, I think, is maybe poop has hit the fan. Um I don't I don't know if the Danish version carries the same devastating connotations or the same sense of immediacy, so yeah, something's gone wrong. Which means that your writing prompt for today is surprise, surprise, something has gone wrong, and your characters need to fix it. The attached writing exercise, should you choose to accept it, is to write the solution scene with your character and another character and to have them try to solve the problem you've created together. Keep swapping in new characters to change the character dynamic. There should be at least two characters working on the problem at any one time. Perhaps try and have one character solve it with their father figure, then with their mentor, then their best friend, and then their sibling. How and when you swap is entirely up to you, if you want to have them do different parts of the solution with different people, or you could just keep restarting the exercise, swapping in new pairs. That's the beauty of writing. She's all up to you. So, this has been 12 Point Font reminding you to stay creative, stay curious, and stay writing until next time. That is goodbye.